Hey everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. What an exciting opportunity it is for you to join New Life Church online. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors at New Life and I just want to say I'm glad that you guys are gathered around your living room TV watching us maybe on YouTube right now or you're sitting down you're watching us on your iPhone or on your your tablet or on your laptop wherever you might be. Uh, You could be driving right now. If you are both hands on the steering wheel both eyes ahead right. So I'm just excited that you guys are with us whether you're one person or you're in a group. I want you to get a cup of coffee all right if you haven't fill it. You can still hear my voice, all right? So just go ahead, get up, walk into the kitchen, because you could never do that if we're here live, right? Uh, Warm up the bag of popcorn really quick. Get your Bibles out and your notepads out, because we're going to continue on in our teaching series that we've entitled, This Changes Everything. This Changes Everything. And what we're doing is we're looking back at the early church, at early believers, and we're seeing how they, they were triumphing, you know, over opposition and persecution and the fact that they just lost their leader. Jesus had recently just been crucified. He rose again, though. That's the good news. Okay, and next week we're going to be talking about that. On Easter, you need to write it down in your calendars. Put it in. Just go into your, your smartphone right now into Google and enter in New Life Easter service and just join us. Okay, join us at Saturday at 6, Sunday at 11. Um, or 9 a.m. until 9 a.m. or 11 a.m., right? And then also Sunday at 6 p.m. Either one of those times. Get a bunch of people, right? Notify all your coworkers and all your friends. Look, no one else has anything else going on anyways. You gotta, we all have to stay inside. So we might as well join together for Easter. So be with us because I'm going to talk about how the resurrection changed everything. Because it did. It changed everything for us today. But it also changed everything for the early believers. And so we're looking back at their life. Because we think that there are some things we can learn from them a couple thousand years ago that pertain to us today, what we're wrestling with, and what we're going through. And so today, I just kind of want to talk to you a little bit about unity, all right? The unity of heart and mind and generosity that we share with one another. So I just wanted you to think with me about something. Your your time when you've been in your greatest uh, peace, peace in your life, the greatest peace you've ever experienced in your life has been when you've been experiencing your greatest unity. That's right. Peace and unity, they kind of go hand in hand. When you've got your greatest unity happening with your spouse and in your family and with your boss and with your finances and with your extended family, right? When when you've sensed sensed the greatest unity with those things, that's when you've sensed your greatest peace. So as we continue in this series, we're going to look at how the disciples... And the early church and all the believers, and there was a lot of believers being added to the church. In fact, they were being added every single day. We're going to look back at this first century believers and how unity played a, a, a vital, important part in how the church was thriving at that time. So we're talking about unity in heart, unity in mind, and unity in generosity that they shared. And so to do that, I'm going to take you back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be, verses 32 through 35. So <clears throat> again, if you got your Bibles, great. Uh, if, you, if you don't, don't worry about it. Scripture's right, going to come up right here on the lower third of the screen. You'll be able to follow along with us. It's going to be ideal. So I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Here we go. It says that all the believers, they were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned okay, was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles, they testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And God's great blessing was upon them all. Uh, There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses, they would sell them. And they would bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, and I love this part because he gives us a for instance. For instance, there was Joseph, the, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which, by the way, that meant son of encouragement. For he was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. It says this about him, that he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. So here's the picture. right? You got these, you got these believers, and they're all living in their own separate homes throughout the cities, right? But what they're doing is this. They're recognizing that you know, some of them have been really blessed, and some of them are suffering. And they recognize that it, it wasn't good for some to be suffering in a very difficult time, and for others just to have resources that were not used. So they were selling off land that maybe they weren't using for anything, or even houses, all right? And they were kind of joining together, and they were saying, look, we want these dollars to go to people that are in the greatest need. So they brought it to the, to the disciples, to the apostles, and they said, look, guys, here it is. Like, distribute it according to God's guidance, and let's make sure that all the believers have what they need. Why, though? Why did they do it? They did it because they wanted to make sure that the message of Jesus Christ was able to powerfully go out into the community. They recognized that that cause was greater than any other cause. But this passage we just read gave us a couple of keys as to what really motivated them, what was driving them. And the first thing that was driving them was this, that they were united in heart. I find it really interesting that this is the, actually the second time the writer of the book of Acts, which was Luke, the writer, this is the second time he's actually mentioning that the disciples were united in heart. He mentioned it before back in Acts chapter 2. And I just find that very significant. What, is that, what does that tell us? That tells us this. It wasn't just a, a passing like trend, that this was something that was legit. This was something that these guys were actually committed to. Right? This was something that was you know, being lived out on a regular basis so much so that the writer was being reminded that, oh yeah, wow, this is very unique among us. And so here it is the second time. Um, united in heart, though, means this, that they were devoted to a cause that was greater than themselves. It was a cause that was beyond them. But really, what was the cause? The cause was very, very simple. All they were basically living out was what Jesus had said in what's referred to as the great commandment. In the great commandment, Jesus says these words, love the Lord your God, and if you know what I'm getting ready to say, just say it right now in your living room, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and what's the last one? Strength, right, right, okay, good. Hey, look, if you just got all four of those, high five the person next to you. If it's just you, you know, and you're all by yourself, that's gonna be weird, so don't do it. So he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said these words. And by the way, equally important, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Now here's what I find interesting. United in heart, the, the disciples, they were living out basically what Jesus said to do. That's all that they were doing. Those words that Jesus spoke, were, were, it was describing the mindset and the lifestyle of the early church and how they were being, how they were living out the cause of Jesus Christ in the early days. But see, to be united in heart, it really paints an amazing picture. It paints a picture of a core conviction. Think about the heart, right? 
The heart's at the center of all things, and the heart describes the center of their desire, very much like the human heart describes the center of your life. Let's just talk about it for a minute, right? Without a heart, what's going to happen? It's a dumb question, I get it, but just follow along with me, all right? Without a heart, what's going to happen? You're going to die. You're going to stop breathing. All life is over. Okay, but, but what, if, what if you lost all your limbs? Could you still live? You sure could. In fact, there's a guy, there's a guy from Australia. I don't know if you've, you've seen this guy or not, but his name, his name's a little hard to pronounce. I'm going to give it my best. But his name is Nick Voyagic. Okay, Nick is this man, he's about 28, 29, 30 years old now. Uh, he was born with no arms and no legs. No joke, no joke. No arms and no legs. And all he has on, on his like left, kind of where your leg would be, is right off of his torso is just like a little part of a foot. He calls it his flipper, okay? Now, here, here's the deal with Nick. Nick was born that way. So what do you think, how do you think Nick turned out? Right? You think Nick just kind of said, well, I've got no reason to live, and you know, i got no purpose, and I can't do the things other people do? You think that's the approach he took? Well, I wouldn't be talking about him if he took that approach. In fact, Nick took a whole different approach, and he's living, he's living a vibrant life. In fact, he travels around the world, and he speaks to audiences. He's a preacher, actually. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Born with no arms and no legs, but yet you're wanting to give God glory and honor? He goes around and he encourages people. He encourages people that it's not about just the way that they're born. It's not about the opposition that they have. It's, more, it's about what Jesus Christ can do through the life of a person. So back to my point, okay? Oh, by the way, by the way, we're going to put at the end of this service, we're going to put a YouTube link up for you, okay? It's going to get shot out on chat. So if you're not joining us on chat on the online church platform or the YouTube or the Facebook platform. If you're not joining us on chat, you're going to miss it. I'm going to have the team, all the campus pastors, they're going to send out a link on YouTube where I want you to, you can click on it after, after all this is over, after this entire worship service is over, I want you to click on the link and go and watch this 60 minutes documentary that's about 18 minutes long on Nick's life. It's going to inspire you. It's going to encourage you to live your life to the fullest. It's going to be on the chat. So look for it, okay, at the end of this service. But my point is this. You can lose a lot of body parts and still live. But if you lose your heart, it's all over. There's nothing else there now to live for. This first century believers, their very first thing they were united to was the very core of their convictions. They were united in heart. And those first century believers, they changed everything because they were bonded together in unity. Their unity of heart was like gravity, guys. It was like gravity, like gravity right now. If I tried to jump, like I could only jump so high. And you don't want to see, you don't want to see how high I can jump. It's pretty embarrassing. It's a good thing that the camera shot's maybe in tight right now. Because if I did jump, you'd just see my feet move a little bit, right? Look, I, I, just, I just know this. There's certain sports I can play. Ice hockey's one of them. You don't jump in ice hockey, okay? You just run into people. I'm pretty good at that. My body's built for that. It's not built for jumping. <clears throat> but... Here's, here's my point, gravity. Gravity, that power of gravity that if you drop something, it falls to the ground. You try to jump, you can't get very high off the ground. The unity of heart for the early church was like their gravity. And that gravity, that gravity of being united in heart, it kept them focused on a couple of critical things. It kept them focused on the cause of Jesus being greater than their individual cause. Because we all have to admit that one of the greatest temptations in life 
is just to do my thing. It's just to do what I want to do, not to do what the group is doing. In, a, in the core of a lot of humans is really a rebellious nature. <clears throat> and to be united, the disciples had to get past that rebellious nature, had to be less about their individual cause, had to be more about the cause of Jesus Christ. But also this, the gravity, right, that force that held them together, the Holy Spirit that draw their hearts together, unity of heart, it also caused them to stay focused on the mission of the local church being greater than their individual mission. Yeah, see, that's where the whole sharing of these great sacrifices came from. What caused them to sell land and to give it? What caused them to give maybe what they didn't even have so that others could have the little bit that they needed? It was because they were committed by this gravity of unity of the hearts together in this mission of the local church that was greater than their local mission. And guys, these early believers, they raised the bar. <clears throat> if you ever watch the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, where they do the high jump, right? I mean, these guys, they raised the bar for all future Christians, including you and me, that if we want to live their standard, if you want to call yourself a Christian like they called themselves Christians, that this means Christ follower, by the way, then it has to be this, that unity has to be at your core. Those early disciples and followers of Jesus basically set up this example that they said, look, if unity's not at your core, then you probably shouldn't even call yourself a believer. So church, look, during this season that we're in right now where there's minimal interaction, right? And we're not really able to maybe be face-to-face -face with each other the way that we really want to. Don't disconnect from other believers, it's not a time to disconnect. If you do, you're going to lose the unity of heart. The very thing that we need to thrive and to be the example of Jesus Christ in the time and the era in which we live, don't disconnect from it. Don't pull back from it. In fact, lean in. Lean in right now. Lean in with me for, for unity of heart with other believers. What would that really look like? That would mean this. Lean in every single week and be a part of our, our church online. I mean, we give you four different times that you can join us. Everybody should be joining us. No one's traveling. You're not hopping on planes. You're definitely not hopping on a cruise ship anytime soon, are you? Right? And so you're, you're, you just join us. Schedule it. Do whatever you got to do to be with us. Like lean in with us and let's, let's lean in and gather this unity of heart so that we're better together. That's one of our beliefs here at New Life, by the way. We, we, we have a real core belief that we actually are better together. So another way I want you to like inspire unity of heart is this, you gotta lean in with other believers. Join a life group. I don't even know if I could like say it strong enough right now. Join a life group. Go to mynewlifechurch.com, click on our life groups and search them and find them. If you can't find a life group you're looking for, then I want you to get a hold of Pastor Nate, okay? And you can call him at our church number. You can get all the information online. Call him, he'll help you. You might say to yourself like, well, Jeff, I'm watching from like Missouri or I'm watching from Iowa, or I'm watching from somewhere else in the world. How do I become, how do I participate in a life group? Well, here's the good thing. Our life groups, we got a number of them online, and you can join them via Zoom. So there's really no excuse why you can't join a life group either. So these two things are what I'm asking for you, to lean in in unity of heart. Join us for weekend worship, and join us in an online life group. Just be a part of it, Okay. Now I get this, like here's what I've heard uh, the past couple weeks. Some of you guys, when you've been watching us online, you've been even saying, man, I miss my time with my church. And you know what? I want to say this to you guys. For some of you that are missing it, you're kind of like right now, as you're watching this, your heart's kind of longing to be together. I want, you to, I want to just to let you know right now, that's normal. Have you cried even 
about the fact that you haven't been able to join together in worship with other believers, face to face, shoulder to shoulder, I just want you to know that's okay. If you had sorrow and grief over that, that's okay. In fact, I would say this to you. It would be normal for a believer that already has developed that unity of heart. It'd be normal for them to miss gathering with other believers in worship. It's one of the reasons why God's word says to us, hey guys, don't forsake your gathering together. Why? Because it perpetuates the unity of heart that God wants us to have. So guys, look, if we remain united in heart to our cause that God gave our church, which is this, to see people find Jesus and lives change, if we remain unified in heart to that cause, then God can use each of you to change everything. Unity of heart. The second thing that the early church was you know, really connected with was unity, the unity in mind. Yeah, so they had unity in heart and also unity in mind. Now, unity in mind, you might be thinking to yourself, like, well, what, is, what does that mean, unity in mind? What does that really look like? Well, I want you to consider three examples from nature that really communicate, I think, the picture of unity in mind. First off, I want you to think about like an army of ants. Have you ever gone out on a hike or, you know, just even walking in your neighborhood and you see them across like even a sidewalk or something and the army of ants, like there's, there's ants going one way and there's ants coming the other way and they're just like crossing each other, right? And the ones going are carrying nothing and the ones coming back, you know, to where, wherever the ant house is or whatever that's called. I don't even know what that's called. Someone right now in the chat, would you correct me and tell me what that really is? I know it's not an ant house. It's probably like an ant what? I don't know. So the ants are leaving the I don't know, and they're going and they're getting the goods, like the candy, and then they're bringing it back right, to the house right, where the rest of them are. Uh, and they're just like communicating with each other. It's almost, like, it's almost like they've got little headsets on and little walkie-talkies and radios, and they're saying to each other, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, go out a little bit more, five more feet, boom, there the candy is. And then they get it and they bring it back. It's amazing to watch. They're in like a unity in mind with one another <clears throat> as they're communicating Going back and forth. Where do you see another example of it? You see another example of it with bees. <laughs> bees do a similar thing. And they go out and they find the pollen that they want to harvest. And then they come back. The scout bees go out, right? They bring it back. And they, they somehow, somehow they communicate this with one another. And then the bees all go out and they get the goods. And they bring it back. And then we get to enjoy the honey afterwards. Pretty cool. And the third example of you see unity in mind <clears throat> and this actually happening with one another is when you see like a school of fish in the ocean and they're just like all swimming together. You ever seen that? Like on the Discovery Channel or, you know, a PBS special or something like that, looking at the ocean. And you see all these fish and they're just swimming together. It's like a swarm and they turn and they, it's like they all turn together. That's, what, that's a good picture of unity in mind. Well, in a similar way, the, the first century believers, they were, they were in unity in mind by the way that they, they believed. They said the same belief system. They had the same doctrine together. That's important. Right? They believed the same thing, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and that he died on a cross for their sins, and that they would confess their sins to him and believe in him, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, that they would be forgiven of their sins and they would be set free and that Jesus rose again from the dead, right? And he's the only, only one to ever do that. And then they, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? And that one day he's coming back for them. And there was this great hope, this unity of belief 
and unity of doctrine, that all had them in one heart and then in one mind. So when they got together, there was great unity and they were arguing over doctrinal beliefs and you know, different statements of who Jesus was and who he wasn't. There was a unity there. And the apostles were doing a great job of leading the church in that way. But there was also unity of mind in their actions. Yeah, in their actions. See, the, the early church wasn't just sitting around in this commune, you know, singing kumbaya all the time. <clears throat> That's not what they were doing. Right? They, they didn't just like all hang out in the upper room all the time or just gather in the temple or just meet out in a field someplace and just talk churchy stuff. That's not what they did. Right? They were getting together and they were coming up with action plans. Action plans to make sure that other people in the community knew about Jesus. That, they cared deeply about that. They would meet together and pray. And what did they pray for? They would pray for the return of Christ. They would pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that the believer could be bold and go out into the streets and preach. That was their action plans. They weren't just getting together to eat meals with one another, you know, and just sing kumbaya. They got together with these action plans to try to reach out and reach more people for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they were working together like a team, like a well-oiled team. Think of them like a, like a football team, Okay. A football team, and they, they draft up their plays, and then they get out there on the, on the field, and they got into a huddle, right? That's kind of like the unity of heart, getting into the huddle. And then they come out of the huddle, and they line up on the line, and they're going to run the play. That's unity of mind. Why? Because every person knows what they're going to do. The front line, they know what they're going to do. Quarterback knows. Wide receivers, running backs. Everybody knows what they're going to do when they say, hike. It's a unity of mind, and they're all going after it. So the, the early church was this group of unified people, like unified on a team. But they were unified not just in physical mindset, guys. Here's one of the key things they were unified in. They were unified underneath the banner and the knowledge and the conviction of the mind of Christ. They were unified in the mind of Christ. So let me tell you what that looks like, because that's really our action step today. When it comes to the unity in mind. So these guys were unified in the mind of Christ. That's three critical thoughts, okay? First was this, purpose, okay? Plan and perspective. Purpose, plan, and perspective. And they shared this mind of Christ. And this is kind of what it looked like. The purpose was this, to seek and to save the lost. That's what they were unified on. That's the mind of Christ, to seek and save the lost. But what was the plan? To bring glory to God. That's what Jesus always did. Jesus always brought glory to the Father. Jesus is the one who said, look, I don't say anything and I don't go anywhere that the Father doesn't lead me to. So the purpose, seeking to save the lost, the plan, bring glory to God. What's the perspective? Well, the perspective dealt with this, humility. Let's live, let's be, let's be people of humility, right? Let's be people of compassion. Let's be people of obedience. And let's be people of dependency on God. So church, let me just ask you this question. What would it look like for you to live right now, today, right where you're at, in the unity of mind with one another? Everybody that's on this call, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to be in unity of mind with all other believers around the world who call out on the name of Jesus? What would that look like for you? Well, let's be unified in the mind of Christ because that's what Jesus is calling his church to. So here's what it would look like for you. Bring glory to God in all things. <clears throat> yeah, that means right now. You may have lost your job. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to still bring glory to God. God's got you. 
You might, you might, start, you might start feeling sick. Maybe you just started, you had a fever, or you just started having a cough or something. I want to tell you, it's still time to bring glory to God. God, God designed your life and my life that we would constantly bring him glory. Here's a good way to do it. The next time you eat, the next time you eat a meal, before you eat, stop and pray. Now, what should you be praying about? I hear a lot of people praying, you know, for their food. <laughs> God, bless this food. Uh, I, that's, that's a good prayer. There's nothing wrong with it. But I would say this. You want to take it up a notch and make it better? Give God glory for the fact that the food's even on the, on the plate. Give him glory that you even have the money to buy it. Give him glory the next time you open up your refrigerator and there's enough food there for another meal. Give him glory, right? So that's the first thing. We, we would want to be bringing God glory. Here's, that would be part of the plan. What, what about the purpose? We have to be people that are telling others how to walk in relationship with Jesus. You can do that right now. You, you could do that today after this, after this sermon, okay? You could go invite someone. Let's say you're watching, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, Sunday morning at 9, you could invite someone to the 11 or even Sunday night at 6. So invite someone to be a part of this. Or, or maybe even after the whole weekend is over, on Tuesday, you can send them a link and let them go into mynewlifechurch.com, click on On Demand, and they can watch it then. That's helping someone learn what it means to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can do virtual coffee with people. Check that idea out. Yeah, FaceTime with another person with a cup of coffee. And just have a conversation with them and teach them, show them, tell them, compel them even to, to walk in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're still going to work, I would still use these opportunities to watch God open up doors. Pray, God, give me opportunities to tell others how to walk in a relationship with you. And then seize the moment when God gives you the opportunity. Church, look, you got the power of Jesus Christ living in you. And he's never to be confined. Think about that. The God who created all things, who spoke and the sun lit up, and you're going to try to confine him? Impossible. Don't even try it. Right? So let him out. L tell other people about how you're experiencing your church online. And let them be intrigued to join you. Some of you are joining us for the very first time, and I'm so glad you're here. Bring a friend next week. Okay? Bring a friend along. But here's the last one. What does it look like to maybe live out you know, unity of mind in perspective, it would be this. Maintain an attitude of humility. Maintain an attitude of compassion, obedience, and dependency on God. Maintain those attitudes. Don't let this time get you down. Don't let this time beat you up. Don't let this time get you depressed. Move into an attitude of anxiety or fear. Stay humble. Care about others. Have compassion for others. Stay obedient to God. Some of you got so much time on your hands, you don't even know what to do. And you're finding yourself drifting off to websites you never should be looking at. I'm telling you, don't let your idle hands lead you into sin. Stay obedient to God. Keep your dependence on God. Some of you are doing really, really well during this time. Some are, some are hurting during this time, but you're doing really, really well. Don't get overconfident. Keep your dependency on God. Some of you are suffering in a difficult, difficult way. And over these next couple of weeks, it may even get worse in your life. And you're wondering, where are you going to turn? Where's the food going to come from? Where's the rent going to come from? How are you going to pay the car payment? So on and so forth. Keep your dependency on God. Church, it's not a time to bail from God. It's a time to lean in to God. So the disciples and the early believers, they had unity in heart, unity in mind. And lastly, the first church, these early believers, 
that they had unity and generosity. It was back in Acts 4, 32, the passage that we just read, that it said this, that these early believers, that they felt, listen to this, they felt that what they owned, okay, they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. They shared it all. I mean, listen, they literally sold portions of their property. They sold their possessions to make sure that families that had little to nothing had everything that they needed. Let me just talk to you about that for a minute. Some people think that maybe unity comes when we start sharing with one another. Like that's how we perpetuate unity. That's not how you perpetuate unity. The way that you perpetuate unity is you first have to build a commitment between each other. We have to know that we're committed to each other more than we're committed to anything else. On this earth, I mean. I mean, yeah, I get it. A relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be first. Relationship with your spouse needs to be next. But guys, shortly after that, the commitment that we have between believers and one another has to be a high, high priority. So we have to be committed to each other. And it's out of that commitment to each other that one of the outflows of that is this, that we want to share things with one another. You want to do that. I found myself wanting to do that at different times in my life. I just wanted to share. I've wanted to help. I've wanted to help send somebody on a global outreach trip, right? I've wanted someone just to use my car or come over and use my house or take my tools and use them, all right? And look, when we share, always do this. Share expecting never to get anything in return. In fact, I would even advise this. If you're gonna share the tool, expect it not to come back, okay? Because it's happened to me. But you guys, you don't back down from sharing just because you share and you don't get anything back. Or don't share expecting someone now to repay you. That's, that's not even right. Like, first be committed to each other and go, look, what is mine can be yours if you need it. If it's gonna be better served in your hands, I want you to have it. That's the attitude that Christ is asking us to have in this unity and generosity. So church, if you want to live a life that changes everything around you, then I want you to look for ways to share what you have. Last week I talked about give what you have. Okay, that was giving Jesus, injecting Jesus into a situation. Right now I'm talking to you about sharing what you have. This is, this is now getting into your, into your goods. This is touching your pocketbook. This is touching what sits in your garage, right? This is what's in your kitchen. This is what's in your refrigerator. This is what's hanging in your closet. So it's sharing what you have. I want you to look for ways that you can actually share what you have. I guarantee you, here's what you want to be. You want to be a person that's known for this. At the end of this whole season of craziness that's going on with this virus, at the end of it all, you want to be known as the person who is generous, that's what you want to be known for. You don't want to be known as a person who is stingy, who just looked out for themselves. You want to be a person that's known for generosity, just like the example that was in Acts chapter 4 with Joseph. I mean, think about this guy, right? He, he's known for all of eternity. His story is written in, in the most powerful book that will ever be printed on planet Earth. His story, Joseph, who was then named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, his story is known for all of eternity. Why? Because he did one act of encouragement. He did one act of generosity. He took a piece of land that he had and he sold it and he gave it to those who had a greater need. That's what you want to be known for. 
You want to be known for that for the rest of your life. You want your grandchildren to talk about how generous you were. You want your grandchildren to talk about how kind and compassionate you were. That whatever you had, you were willing to let others use it. You were letting others give it away. Boys, check this out. I'm just going to tell you. When you live united in generosity, you're happier. You are physically happier. It's better to give than to what? Than to receive. Right? And it's true in this moment. So look for immediate need around you. This is your pastor just talking to you. For some of you, right, you don't come to New Life Church. I'm just your friend right now. I'm just telling you this. Look for some immediate need around you and find out ways to meet it. Yeah. I don't know what immediate need is around you. I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't live down the street from you, per se. So what is the immediate need that you know of? It might be across town. If you know of immediate need, I want you to figure out a way to meet that need this week. Now, if you don't know of any immediate needs around you that you can meet that's significant, okay, significant, okay, let it hurt a little bit. Let it, let it hurt a little bit. Like, I don't know if I want to write that check with that extra zero on it to somebody, all right? Let it hurt a little bit. Like, I don't know if I can give that much time. Let it hurt a little bit. Like, be united in generosity with Jesus Christ and go out and give yourself away. Give what you have and bless others. If you're in great, if you have a great amount of wealth and assets around you and time and all these kind of things, and you know of someone that's struggling right now, then help them out. Okay, but listen to me clearly. If you don't know of anybody around you this week, I want you to join with us and I want you to give through New Life Church to what's called Kingdom Builders. So if you're new and you're just listening to us, let me tell you what Kingdom Builders is, all right? So Kingdom Builders is our way of living generously here at New Life Church to meet both local needs and global needs, all right? It's through Kingdom Builders that we keep our commitment to our missionaries. So your generosity to Kingdom Builders above and beyond our tithe, which is obedient giving to God, now Kingdom Builders is generous giving to God. So I would encourage you, give Give to Kingdom Builders. You can go to mynewlifechurch.com. You can click on give, all right? And you can find out how to do that. You can watch our six-step video. It will teach you how to give. Be a Kingdom Builder. If you don't know need around you, be a Kingdom Builder because there's needs all around the world. There's needs in our backyard that we're going to be meeting. We already have started doing that, by the way. There's needs nationally. We're partnered with ministries that are meeting needs during this COVID-19 virus that are meeting needs nationally. We're, we're funding that, okay? And we're funding helping to meet needs globally by keeping our missionaries in the field and some of the projects that they're doing overseas. And so guys, if you don't know any need around you, we've got a ton of need that we're aware of and we're trying to give our dollars away to it. During this time, trying to give it away. We want you to join with us. Be a kingdom builder. So I encourage you guys to remain united in generosity, right? By loving each other and being generous by giving through New Life Church. So let me just say this. If we remain united in heart, mind, and generosity, I believe that there's nothing that can stop our effort of compassion from changing everything in this world. Let me end with this story. It's about the pilgrims. Back in 1620, there was 102 pilgrims that arrived here on our shores on the Mayflower. Now, many of you guys, you know the beginning of that story. So 1620, in December, and there was snow on the ground. Now, the captain of the ship, he was just going to drop them off, and he was going to make a drop and turn, and he was going to head back to England and continue to make money. I mean, he had the ship, 
he, he needed passengers or cargo to make money, so he was just going to drop them off and he was going to head back. But when he got there and he realized they don't have anything, they don't have homes to live in, right? There's natives that are running the ground and they, they're just, they hadn't really built relationships, so they didn't know if you know, they were going to kill them or they were going to feed them. Right? And then it's wintertime, and it's freezing cold outside, and the ground's frozen, and they can't plant any crops, and snow's on the ground. And you know, he, he, he decides, you know what, guys, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm going to help you protect the women and the children. And, and so here's what happened. Like, he, he would take the women and children, they would go about a mile offshore, and they would sleep on the boat at night so they were safe. But it was so cold that women were like, laying on top of their children, trying to keep them warm. And there wasn't hardly enough food for all of them. So the ladies were typically sharing a portion of their food with their children, trying to keep them alive like the motherly instincts of a mom would do naturally. And in 1620, drifting now into January, February, March of you know, 1621, the men were sleeping on the shore because they didn't want to show weakness you know, to the natives. So they were sleeping on frozen ground. Here's what happened. 45 of the 102 died from the time they got there in December till March. They buried them in one massive grave. It wasn't their custom. Their custom was like ours, where they would bury them with individual headstones, but they didn't want to look weak to the natives. So they just dug one big massive grave, and they kept putting the bodies. About half of the, the men and, and the women you know, died, and they, they just put them in this, in this one big massive grave. Because the women were dying of starvation and freezing, and the, and the men were dying. At one point, it even says in the historic records that only six or seven of them were actually physically able to walk, and they had to take care of all the rest. But when March came, the captain was ready to set sail back to England, and he begged the pilgrims, the founders of our nation, he begged them, please, get on the ship now and come back with me. We can be back at England in a week or two. Those who were left, some 50-some that were still left, they said, no, we're not going to leave. We're going to stick it out here. We're on a mission. We're united in heart. We're united in mind. And we're united in generosity. And you can still read what drove their unity and why they stayed and why we even have the nation that we have today. And it's written about in the Mayflower Compact. It says this, that the pilgrims agreed that they were establishing a new society. So they wrote these words in the Mayflower Compact. They stayed to create this new society for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, unquote. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. I'm telling you, unity is powerful. You're united in heart, in mind, you're united in generosity. It's a powerful place. In fact, it becomes a power that can overcome almost any other obstacle that you're going to face. So church, I ask you, I beg you to join with us during this season because there's an equation that I want to show you. It's this, people plus unity with Christ equals an unstoppable power that changes everything. People plus unity in Christ is an unstoppable power that changes everything. That's what God has called us to. That's what God has called us to. So what I want to do is this. I want to take a moment. I want to pray. And as I pray, our worship team is going to come out. And then we're going to make a quick little transition 
And they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. Now this first song that they're going to lead us in, I'm just, I'm just asking you, look, sing along if you want. Okay, but I would, I would rather you kind of lean into God. Okay, I would rather you just take a moment of solitude, take a moment of reflection. I'll let you lean into God and ask him to keep your heart unified with his cause during these challenging days. Just lean into God. Say, God, let my heart be united with your heart. Let my heart beat with your cause so that during these challenging days, I would be united with other believers in heart and mind and in generosity so that all together, guys, we could accomplish God's cause on this earth. Remember his plan? To bring glory to him. Remember his purpose? To seek and save the life, the lost. Remember his perspective? That we would live humble, compassionate, obedient, dependent lives on him. Guys, that's what God's calling us to do. So let's lean into him. Let's pray. Let's pray. And then we'll move right into a moment of worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of the early believers who were passionate about you, who sought after you, who were hungry for you. Lord, who were united in heart with one another and they bonded together with your cause and they were united in mind with each other and their beliefs and their doctrine, their actions and the mind of Christ, it coursed through them in such a way that they could accomplish great things. And then, God, the, the, the unity and generosity is just convicting. It's convicting. Here we are as we go through a difficult time. Right now, the unity and generosity, what would that say to the world if they saw the church responding that way? What would it look like if, you know, we started meeting needs down the streets and it wasn't just the organized church driving it, but it was just believers. It was the actual church of Jesus Christ driving it. What would it look like if we just loved our neighbors a little bit more? We were generous with them. What would it look like if we loved other believers a little bit more? Lord, your word in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it tells us that we're supposed to do good deeds to one another and to especially do them to other believers. So Lord, may our world see us, New Life Church, living out the heart of unity that's changing everything in the day and age in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen.